Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. There's no big story. Um, And I think that that's that's where I come in with the women that I work with and want to appeal to is you don't need one. You don't have to have a big rock bottom or a big story um, with alcohol in order to change your relationship with it. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. Everyone, I am so excited to welcome a very special guest with me today. I have Jen Couch. She is the founder and creator of the Sober Sis Community and leader and the Sober Curious Movement. It's her passion and life's calling to create a space where women can renegotiate their relationship with alcohol without labels, judgment, or shame. She coaches women who feel stuck in the gray area on the drinking spectrum and helps women get off of autopilot and mindless sipping through the habit of wine o'clock. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. It is my pleasure. So I read a little bit about you, but I definitely want to know more about you and your story, how you ended up doing exactly what you are doing today. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, This is, this is my passion. This is my life work. It's an unlikely, um, I guess, passion that I find myself in because my, my history, I guess you could say with drinking and alcohol is, is a little different than most people that you hear who are in this space talking about maybe sober curiosity or just this alcohol-free lifestyle. So I'll back it up a little bit and tell you about myself. I'm currently an empty nester living in Fort Worth, Texas, married to my college sweetheart. And it was, it was really in my younger mom years that I really recognized what had been very, very, very small in my life, in my college days and in my 20s, so small, I would say I didn't even really have a drinking habit. I didn't even have a drinking career. <laughs> I was kind of one of those later, later to me, later in life drinkers where I was a young mom and was working a home-based business and was at home with my kids all day and then was out adulting at night. And it just seemed like a real rite of passage to, to just, you know, unwind with the, with the girls after, after a long day of work at home and then work in the evening. And what really started off as just a social thing and a reward kind of for a job well done really turned into something that became a habit for me. It was just kind of like five o'clock means wine o'clock. And that's really kind of where I found myself throughout my 30s and even into my young 40s. And that's when I noticed my relationship with drinking kind of just changed in nature because it was in my young 40s that I was raising the teenagers and just the heat of life was really turning up. And I noticed that's when I I really was leaning more on alcohol as a little bit of a crutch for anxiety, 
boredom. Um, my whole social life was built around, let's go get drinks. Let's meet for drinks. Where's the happy hour? Where's the fun? And I really equated alcohol to pretty much anything in my life that had to do with relaxing. And I just didn't realize how much it was really doing a number on my mental health, my anxiety. I had no idea the correlation between alcohol and anxiety. I actually thought by drinking, I was reducing my anxiety and I didn't know I was literally pouring gasoline on it. So nothing big happened, uh, no big rock bottom, nothing, you know, I didn't lose anything. There's no big story. Um, and I think that that's, that's where I come in with the women that I work with and want to appeal to is you don't need one. You don't have to have a big rock bottom or a big story um, with alcohol in order to change your relationship with it. You have to look and say, is it serving me? And that's what I did in my mid forties. I looked and said, nope, it's not really doing me any favors. And I really wanted to show up differently as I moved into my next decade. And so that's exactly what I did. I set out on this journey to become more sober minded, more present, awake, alert, aware in my own life. So I could show up at 50 different than I did 40. And that's what brought me here. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, you actually took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say it doesn't take a rock bottom or some major life event to turn around any habit, not just alcohol, but specifically we're talking about that. Like it doesn't take getting a type two diabetes, like pre-diabetic diagnosis for you to start getting healthier. It doesn't take, you know, a DUI to start trying to be sober. So I love that. I, I love that you, that's where you come in. You said, um, you're kind of like the, let's not get too, too far off track in order to turn this around. So you said that you realized at age 50, that your wine o'clock habits that they weren't serving you anymore. And they were actually undoing a lot of things for you. So how did you start to turn that around? What were some of the things that you started doing, started not doing or incorporating? Yeah, because you're right. I was I was totally caught in what I call the detox to retox loop. And it was a it was a vicious cycle. And whether that was daily, weekly, or monthly, it was the same loop. It was the same cycle. And so I, like many of your listeners, I'm sure woke up with the good intentions, the not only am I not gonna drink tonight, but I'm gonna do all these great things. And I would continue to kind of check off the list of, you know having my my morning meditation and prayer time check you know got the yoga or the workout class in check juicing the kale on it did the green juice totally great um but where i i started making changes was really in my thinking because that's when i noticed that it was my thoughts that was creating a lot of the emotions that were causing the behaviors that i was doing so around three o'clock kind of that mid-afternoon, low low blood sugar. You're kind of, you know, the good intentions are fading. They're like wearing off. Like, where did they go? And so it was about three o'clock, you know, that I started thinking, you know, maybe a glass of wine just while I'm cooking, just one glass while I'm cooking, or I'm just going out with the girls or it's just book club. I'm just going to have one. Would kind of set in and I would start to negotiate. I would start to kind of negotiate. Um, because I really didn't have the tools, the the mindset tools to look at alcohol differently, change the way I was looking at it. And so that's one thing that I did differently when I started changing my relationship to that five o'clock hour, because I would always, you know, pretty much wait until, you know, five o'clock, because that seemed like the appropriate time 
to crack something open. And so for me, I had to go with my thoughts earlier than the moment. Um, I had to pre-decide. I had to actually not only pre-decide, but pre-plan. So when the opportunity came, I already had a plan in place. And this is, again, true for so many things. Sober-minded living is not, to me, just about alcohol. It's about being present, awake, alert in our own lives. So for me, my my advice, if you will, was that that ritual of um, alcohol in the evenings, but it could be anything. So I think this applies to just overall mental health and physical health. But I had to pre decide and then pre-plan. And I had to change my thinking instead of looking at it like, oh, what am I losing? I'm losing something. I had to really start to think about why I was doing what I was doing, taking a break, hitting, hitting hitting the brakes. I had to think about what I was actually gaining. And when I used one of my favorite tools that I've learned about called Play the Movie Forward, That's when I realized that if I do open that bottle of cold Pinot Grigio at five o'clock, the chances, let's be honest, the chances of me having one glass from five to 530 are pretty slim. I mean, come on. So I had to be realistic as well. I had to know, know the reality that I've seen this movie before. I mean, this is not my first rodeo. I have seen this movie play out before, and it usually isn't just one or meeting the girls for drinks. It isn't just one. It's let's go get one more. Let's listen to another band. Yeah, let's go do more. And so I think that that's a huge thing is going in with your eyes wide open. Yeah, I love that. You associated five o'clock with drinking wine or whatever you're drinking. And I think a lot of people do that. Again, this isn't just about alcohol. Like you said, it's the path or road to actually a feeling that you want to have. You don't want to feel like crap. You want your head to be clear. You want more energy. You want better sleep. I think just the way you are presenting it is like, do you have this limbo between you're not an alcoholic, but you're not not an alcoholic. Um, You have these bad habits. And again, a vice that you can succumb to your vices. My boyfriend and I always talk about that. Like we are really, really good about so many things. But just recently, we both decided, why are we so regimented and all these other things, but we're okay with like having a drink every night? Why is that okay? You know, because it is the norm. It is society these days. Brings me to my next point of, I want to reference this article that came out that Cameron Diaz uh, did for E! News. And it's just kind of the glamorization of alcohol or of drinking because her 2023 wellness tips, (laughs) I don't know if you saw this. I did not. I can't wait to see it. Oh, so this is the, um, this is just the headline. It says guest editor Cameron Diaz's 2023 wellness tips include dancing naked and drinking wine. Mm. So it's like, there's the like, boom, right there. There It's like the glamorization of you should be drinking wine and dancing naked. So then all these women are like, yeah, like it's okay. Cameron Diaz. The rosé all day t-shirts. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yep. So I want to talk about the glamorization of it and putting so much pressure on women to fit in when it comes to culture, when it comes to your coworkers going out for happy hour and you are you know, feel the pressure of saying yes, but you don't really know. Like you're like, "Ah, I want to fit in, but I also don't really want to do that. So what do you want women to know when it comes 
to the glamorization of alcohol or the wine o'clock and then how they can combat that, those thoughts in their mind like you did. So relevant. And what we're talking about is relevant to any age group. And again, thank you for having me on because I feel like at any season in life, at any age, there is a tone of peer pressure. Believe it or not, even at 51, there's still peer pressure. There is peer pressure for me at 15. Yeah, right. <laughs> 51, right. <It's> all... <laughs> 15. I mean, yeah, it happens very early. Totally, totally. So, and you're so right. I'm very passionate about bringing just awareness, not necessarily even judgment, just awareness to the marketing and messaging behind alcohol to women, especially, you know, big alcohol is a big industry. It is a huge business. I mean, it is. And so they've got lots of ad dollars, lots of spending to create these stories and these narratives out there. And because we do see it everywhere, I mean, it is so prevalent everywhere. Even at my grocery store, I live in Fort Worth, Texas, and even at my Whole Foods, uh, pre-COVID, I guess COVID shut it down because now it's it's like a pickup area. But there was a full-fledged bar with all kinds of, you know, beers on tap, everything you could want, a glass of wine in the middle of the grocery store. They had drop-off holders for your beverage at the end of the aisles. Like if you couldn't get through your grocery shopping without a, a pint or a, or a glass of wine, it was socially acceptable to say, hey, babe, I'm running out to the grocery store and swing by a bar in, in the store. So, I mean, that's just, that's the reality of what's out there. So until the whole world changes, we have to change ourselves. I mean, we really just have to know that this is what's being portrayed out there, but it's not the reality. Most people do not talk about their hangovers, their lack of sleep, most people put on um, a smile on their face and hit the gym the same and are not talking about the flip side. So again, I'm not like the alcohol police. I don't think all drinking's bad or wrong or anything like that. I think that it's, it is an awareness though, that what you're seeing any marketer do, it's the product's product. They're telling you, you'll get that guy. You'll have fun on a beach with a Corona in one of those two lounge chairs where there's always the cold bottle. They're selling a lifestyle. They're selling something that they promise you that alcohol will bring. And the reality is, look at your own life. Does, does alcohol really do that? No, it numbs us for a little bit. It's a great anesthetic if you're bored, lonely, anxious, or just trying to celebrate and want to enhance something. But what I have discovered in my own journey and from working with so many women is alcohol doesn't really enhance anything. It actually dulls things because by the nature of the substance, it's a bit of an anesthetic. So it actually takes away the technicolor and puts this kind of homogenous experience out there where it's just like, you know, I'm not going to drink tonight. Okay. I did drink tonight. Now I'm drinking. Now I'm going to watch Netflix. And before you know it, you're just in this groundhog day experience. And it's really not the, you know, dancing naked with your rosé all day t-shirt on, on a yacht somewhere on a beach. It It's really women in their kitchen at the kitchen sink on a third glass of wine after they've worked their tail off on a workout all day and thinking, what am I doing? That's the reality. And that's what people aren't talking about enough. 
Definitely. As a health coach of over seven years, we know I would have women come to me wanting help losing weight and getting in shape. And I swear I even had to have like a, um, like a prompt almost ready. Like, and I just sent it out over and over because the one question I would get, can I still have alcohol (laughs) on my (laughs) fitness and nutrition plan when I really want to get healthy? And I know you've done some talks about alcohol and metabolism. Um, Can you go into a little bit more on that of what actually happens to your body if you're drinking alcohol? Because in the end, alcohol is a sugar. It cannot be used in any way. Your body can't break it down and burn the calories. So maybe go into a little bit more about how it affects your metabolism. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a hot topic for sure. And it does affect our metabolism because it totally, here's the deal, alcohol in our bodies is a toxin. Our body recognizes alcohol, not only as something that will turn into sugar, but it recognizes it as a toxin. So if it's got to choose what to burn through, what to rid itself of, it's not going to be the other things we're eating or consuming. It's going to be the alcohol. That's your body's number one job. Once you put alcohol in is to get it out. That's number one (laughs) body function. And so the fat burning of of the meal or other things that you're having really kind of goes to the back burner and actually slows down processing other foods and other things in an effort for your body to focus all of its attention on getting that alcohol gone and keep up with the amount of alcohol we're consuming, which, you know, again, on a given night, that may be more than one drink. So if you're having multiple drinks, two or three, or just kind of going here and there, your body's working all night long just to take care of those toxins. You know, I'm super health focused. I'm very about fitness and I just couldn't understand. I guess I never wanted to put the two and two together because I didn't want to give up my my wine or my cold beer. I'm Again, I'm a Texan. So yard work, planting, you know, flowers equals like cold beer, let's go. And so to to think of the two equating, I thought it was calorie for calorie, just like I I you know, did a spin class today. I burned 500 calories. I'm just going to drink my calories tonight. I'm just going to have, I'm going to have a salad and drink my red wine or whatever it is. And they say red wine is good for heart health. Well, the American Heart Association has come out and said, well, actually, I don't know that's good for heart health. They've, They've really retracted that. Studies have shown really no amount of alcohol is technically, quote, good for you as far as something that they're promoting. It's something that you've got to realize you're putting in your body that is a known toxin. It's also known carcinogen, which people really don't like to hear that. So I'm not going to, you're going to either love me or hate me out there, which I find actually really helpful (laughs) to my message to be a little bit polarizing because it it is tied to at least over uh, the increase of 15 different kinds of cancer. Well, yikes, you know, that's, and again, that's not to shame anybody or blame anybody for, for their health conditions, but we do have to think about what we put in. And again, for years, I could have even known that. And I think I would have still had a difficult time. So knowledge is power, but applying the knowledge is where the power really comes in. Yeah, applying it and just admitting that, okay, fine, you're right. I will finally do what I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah, again, I love the the calorie in, calorie out thing where you're like, I didn't want to accept it. Maybe that was a better word, not admit, but accept. Because 
what I like to do most is educate women on what things are doing to your body in real time when you are consuming them. So I, I do not really agree with the calorie in calorie out. Oh, just burn more than you intake. That doesn't make sense because different foods affect your hormones differently, your blood sugar differently, your insulin. If you have 140 calories of French fries, it's different than 140 calories of a protein shake. It's just not the same. So that just doesn't really work for me. It maybe will work short term. Yes, you can get weight loss results by doing that. But long-term sustainable fat burning, longevity, um, hormonal balance, all the things that's not going to work for the calories in calories out. So women out there, if you're listening to this, please accept the fact. And like you said, it might not be good for you. Like, oh, if you drink red wine, it promotes your body forward. Maybe it's not as bad as something else. Maybe it's not as bad as whiskey or whatever. So, you know, and I have told my clients, in the past, if you do want to drink, have a glass of red wine because it does have the reversatrol in it. It's been shown to decrease the symptoms and signs of like dementia and Alzheimer's, supposedly. But but yeah, don't be like, hey, have a glass of wine because that's actually going to help your heart health and promote your body forward. It's like if this is a last resort, don't go have whiskey or sugary margaritas, like maybe have a glass of red wine and try to keep it at one if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? That is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. But we need good information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and for our futures. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You just simply mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for next steps. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash habits, you can get $20 off your first test. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash habits. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash habits. That's modernfertility.com slash habits. So you call your work, which I've never heard of this term actually, sober curious. What does that mean? And and how did you come up? How did you come up with it? Is did you come up with it, or is it actually a category um, out there? Yeah, it's actually a category out there that um, was. I think it came on the scene. Oh, I don't. I have her book right in front of me. It's Ruby Warrington wrote a book called Sober Curious, and I think she really coined the phrase. So I'd love to say that her book came out. Let's see. <laughs> Hang on, I'll tell you. Uh, just because I'm curious myself. 2000, 
Uh, it says 2019. I know it was sooner than that, that maybe this is her revised edition. But this whole concept of sober curious really allows for a drinking spectrum, which now the medical community has really recognized that alcohol use disorder, that there is a dependency scale. And that anybody that drinks alcohol at any point in time on a regular basis or just on the weekends or just, you know, has some here and there, wherever that is, you're somewhere on the drinking spectrum. And where most people fit actually is right smack dab in the middle. It's in the gray area. You're not necessarily an alcoholic, which we would coin, that's a familiar phrase to us. They've actually taken it out of the diagnosis now. It's not even a word. Um, it's a word that we perpetuate in our society because that's what we know. We we hear of AA or we hear people refer to themselves as an alcoholic. But it turns out that really only about 10% of heavy drinkers are physically dependent on alcohol to the point that they do need medical supervision, a detox unit, rehab, this sort of thing. 10% of heavy drinkers. So what does everybody else do if they start to realize, hey, I'm drinking more than I used to. I'm drinking more and enjoying it less. I'm drinking more to get the same effect that one glass used to do. Now I need two to feel the same effect. That is just called tolerance. And when tolerance builds over time with an addictive substance, like it just tends to do, that's the nature of the substance. It's an addictive substance. So you build tolerance and in building more tolerance, you also build more dependence. And so somewhere on that drinking spectrum, people start to become sober curious for a variety, total variety of reasons. I'm like myself, no big rock bottom, no DUI. Uh, just, you know, kind of a soccer mom out there just getting her done during the day and, and really drinking on a regular basis most evenings. That in and of itself was not working for me. But in society, I kind of looked like everybody else. I definitely looked like my friends, my spouse drinks. So, I mean, it was like just normal. But I became sober curious by just thinking, what would my life be like if alcohol weren't so big? It weren't so, it wasn't so valued. Um, I mean, I really looked forward to it. Like it was my reward at the end of a long day, like a well-deserved, put your feet up, you know, put your hair up. Now you can really relax. Like it was like my ticket. And I had to really look at that and say, is, again, is it really my ticket? And the curiosity is the best place to start instead of just behavior modification or a bunch of willpower deprivation mindset. I tried all of that. I tried rules. You know, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm only going to drink, you know, white, not red. I'm only going to drink when I'm happy, not sad. You know, I tried all the things and that all that did was just cause me more management. It didn't really change my thinking. And so the sober curious really does appeal to a gray area drinker um, like I was and like so many women that I have found fit in that category. It just allows, you know, for a space of discovery and learning without labels, without shame. There is so much stigma and stereotyping that goes on with alcohol. It's like, it's all fun and games, you know, Cameron Diaz dancing around. It's all fun, fun, fun. Nobody talks about it unless there's a problem. And then people start whispering or they're like, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong? What happened? And it becomes this 
weird thing in our society. I don't know if you've heard this kind of famous quote out there, you know, alcohol's really the only drug on the planet. You have to justify not taking, you know, why do we feel that way? And I, I think to bust out and say, yeah, I was a gray area drinker, really starting to get stuck in the detox retox loop. I had to find a way out for me. That was changing my mind set, changing the way I looked at alcohol, finding connection. I really ultimately ended up creating a community that I was looking for with women just like you and me that were just kind of open to talking about it that maybe weren't sure if they were never going to drink again. Seemed a little extreme. I was like, whoa, yo, slow down. That's too extreme for me. Initially, I just had to take a break for a set amount of time, got some momentum because I got a clear head. I started feeling better and it was actually my health and the way I felt that drove me forward. So my first goal was six weeks. And trust me, that was that was plenty to take on. And I had to do that one day at a time. And then after after the six weeks, I thought, okay, I made it through, you know, my birthday, Mother's Day, my anniversary, all the things, just alcohol pretty much in my face. And I decided to go for a hundred days. I was like, you know what? I am not saying I'm never drinking again. I'm just going to go for the hundred days. And uh, here I am almost six years later. Wow. I do want to talk about, you said you're alcohol free. So, and you said there's a stigma around it. I want your opinion about, and I don't really know how to uh, ask this other than saying, do you ever say I'm sober or I feel like there's a stigma around saying sober as well. For instance, and we can get more into this when we talk about your community, but um, a couple episodes ago, I had my sister on and her and I went through a lot of trauma and the way she dealt with it was alcohol abuse. I didn't necessarily do that. She had a really hard rock bottom with alcohol and she went she went sober. So I don't know. It's just this thing of like, do if I stopped drinking, do I say I'm sober or I, but I feel like if you say you're sober, that means you've had a a problem with it in the past. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. Okay. I really understand what you're saying. I mean, really understand because I think it's the same thing. I think we have a stigma around alcoholic and alcohol and an equal stigma with sober to me, especially before I really got active in this community, if you will, I really thought sober meant like clean and sober, like addict, like I'm clean and sober. Like I did drugs or like, what does that, or like a massive rock bottom and, and sober. Oh, I definitely feel like it's loaded. I definitely feel like that that's, that's the real thing. And so it's ironic when I was naming my, my Instagram handle and ultimately my, uh, my sober sis, uh, community, it's really short for sober minded sisters, because I'm very adamant about the word sober minded. So I'm completely different, um, semantic than sober to me, but that was so long (laughs) when it comes to an IG handle or a website. So I shrunk it down to sober sis, but it was an immediate concern but I also wanted people to know what I was talking about. Um, and the word sober definitely gets people's attention that I'm talking about alcohol. But I, I dealt with the exact same thing. In fact, out there in, in the real world, in my real life, I do not say that I'm sober. 
even though I'm AKA sober sis, I do not say that I'm sober or notice I just said I've been alcohol free uh, for coming up upon six years. I would not say I'm sober for six years. That's just my personal preference. There's nothing wrong with the word sober. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. And so for me, living an alcohol-free lifestyle, choosing to be sober-minded is all about presence. And just like people are gluten-free, some people are vegan, I'm alcohol-free. It's kind of like, you know, I'm doing a sugar fast right now. So right now, I guess you could say I'm sugar-free. Am I going to be sugar-free forever? Probably not. Let's keep it real. No, I'm not. But will I be sugar-free for the next 40 days? I will. I've already pre-decided. I've pre-planned. I know why I'm doing it and I've got support. So yeah, I will. But sober, no, it's just, it's not really a part of my identity because it feels like, and again, this is just my own perception. It's not wrong or right. It feels like sober is the opposite of alcoholic. And, And I don't think it needs to be that way. I do think that we need to dispel the stigma and stereotype around both words, but they do tend to go hand in hand. And I'm just here to say, you don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to um, have an alcohol dependency to change your relationship with drinking. You can change your relationship with alcohol at any time for any reason. You can be sober for the health of it. It's a hashtag out there. Again, there's the word sober, but hey, that one kind of works. You know, I look at it like a highway. I look at it like drinking is a highway. And, you know, I got actually a little bit later in life on ramp because I started really drinking on a regular basis in my young 30s. Like I mentioned at the beginning, Um, I wasn't really the I was a sorority girl in college drinking one my thing. I think it's because I looked around and I got all the cautionary tales I needed just from going to the, you know, frat house and watching my sisters there. And this is again, to date myself, this is pre Uber. This is pre a lot of things. So you're, you're kind of stuck like Chuck. I mean, you're out there, out, out there just like, Oh, I don't want to be the drunk girl that can't get home. So it kind of scared me into shape a little bit. And then in my twenties, I was building a business, building a family. It wasn't time to start drinking if I hadn't already. So that's why my young thirties, it kind of crept in. But, um, so I got that kind of later on ramp, but I also got an early exit because I didn't have to keep going down the highway until there was a, a crash and burn figuratively or literally where something happened where I had to get off. Um, I'm sorry to hear about your sister having that loss, but I'm also glad to hear that she's, you know, off the highway. And I think for some of us, we just, we do get on and off at different times. And I think that that's empowering. I hope my message is empowering that, um, you know, instead of asking yourself, the wrong question, which is the question I asked myself for years and it totally kept me stuck. I kept asking myself, Jen, is it bad enough? Girl, is it bad enough? Like look around, is it bad enough? No, because I could always find somebody that was way further down the highway than me in the faster lane <laughs> and and was drinking more than me, behaving, to, you know, swinging from the chandeliers, maybe, you know, dancing naked, whatever. I could find those those people. And so they were always my benchmark. They were always like my standard of like, oh, I ain't that bad. And so that real, that kind of thinking really kept me stuck because it was behind closed doors that I struggled the most. It wasn't out socially. It was when everyone was at home or I was just waiting up for my kids to come home from curfew. My husband's asleep and I'm just, again, in front of the TV, mindlessly sipping. That's when I ran into trouble. That's what nobody saw. And so I had to flip it and start asking myself a better question. 
which is, is it good enough? Not, is it bad enough? Because when I flipped it to, is it good enough? Well, I didn't need to look around. I needed to look inside. I needed to look at my own life and I could clearly see it was not good enough for me because it was keeping me small in my own life. It was holding me back. It was taking up too much mental bandwidth for me to even think about it. And so for me, that was, that was a better question. And that got me on a different track. I love that. That's for a really good thing for everyone to, to practice. Not if it's, is it bad enough, but is my life good enough? So just going with that, I I want to ask a question. I think this is probably where a lot of people's minds are going. People are probably thinking I'm going to lose a lot of friends. Did you lose a lot of friends in the process of going alcohol free? Great question because, you know, drinkers tend to hang out with drinkers. It's just a fact. It, it's it's become, again, such an activity in our society. Like it in and of itself can be an activity to go to a beer tasting or a winery. Or So to answer your question, what I did was I kept working on me and not trying to change or focus on anybody else. And so when I would go to book club or I would go to a girl's night out or date night with my husband or all the places where drinking was constantly around me, I wanted people to feel comfortable being themselves. I knew that I was the one that wanted to change, not them. So I didn't want to be that person that kind of went around and was like, well, I'm alcohol free. So you need to be or don't drink around me. Um, again, I think it's okay to ask for what you need. I think it's different with with friends than it is maybe um, your partner or somebody that you're you know you're living with. With my husband, I did say, hey, just for this month, like this first month, would you mind if we maybe didn't bring it in the house? Like so prevalent, like in my face in my own house. But as far as friends and stuff, I really didn't want to be judged for not drinking, but I also didn't want them to feel judged for drinking because I just drank with them the week before. I mean, it's not like I've like turned it all around and now I'm this good. Well, you know, now I have literally studied this so much, but even still now I just went to a football watching party last night. The purple Prosecco was flowing because we were rooting for the purple team, you know, was me being there weird? Nope. Was it weird for anybody else around me? I sure hope not. And again, if it is weird for them, maybe that's something they can be curious about. You know, I think when we change something in our lives and quite frankly, when we up level in some way or raise our own standard, it does cause people a little bit of, of cognitive dissonance about their own choices. And again, I don't have to say a word. I mean, I am not that person that's going to say anything, but just by choosing an alternative or having that Topo Chico, you know, mineral water with my lime and someone else ordering something else, I'm just being me and I want them to be them. I wouldn't want them to morph into this awkward person around me, but it definitely has shown me what friends uh, were kind of more on the surface or maybe just drinking truly was our bond. And then what friends I have were drinking really is just a sidebar. It's just like, I'm eating this, you're eating that. I like this, you like that. It doesn't matter. Those are my real friends. Those are my true friends. And me being alcohol-free didn't change those relationships. But I will say I was the ringleader of a lot of my social groups because I loved going out and I loved drinking with, with others. I thought it was really fun. So I do notice that socially speaking, because I was such the ringleader, those opportunities aren't as much because now I'm not looking to just 
go sit at a Mexican restaurant for three hours tonight and sip on a pitcher of margarita. I've got other plans, you know, and for me at one point in time, that was the goal. So I guess I changed. So it did change my social life, but it didn't change my real friends. I love that. I'm the same. I tend to lead by example or just be an inspiration. I have more of a laissez-faire approach where I'm more yeah. hands-off. I'm just like, I'm I'm just going to do this. But people watch. People are, are watching what you're doing. And they might not say it at first, but the ones that are curious and more on the, yeah. whatever the spectrum, like you said, they'll eventually catch up and be like, okay, I think I need to do what you're doing instead of... Well, they see that you're rested. They see that you're happy. They see that you really can have fun at a party. They see this. And I think sometimes people just need to see it first to know that it's even possible. And then I'm open for conversation as well. But I like your approach to just the you be you because we can't change other people anyway. Definitely. I want to talk about quickly your community of women that you have. What are these women like? What are they seeking the most? Is it just a wide variety of that sober curious? Is it whatever, quote unquote, alcoholics? Is it people coping with alcohol? What kind of women do you get in your group? And you've helped so many women with this topic. So what what do they look like? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And I do have a public Facebook page and I also, we have our, our actual private community on a platform called Mighty Network. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, it's still fairly new, but more and more people are getting on. It's like a membership thing, right? Yeah, Yeah. it is. And it's for anyone who's ever done my 21 day reset challenge are invited into the services network. And so that's where we continue to communicate and, and hang out kind of even after the 21 days. But I would say, kind of the avatar, if you will, the the person that I'm attracting is definitely a variety of ages. Um, I've worked with with women in their 20s all the way up to women in their 70s who are grandmas who don't want to be the grandma that has the wine glass that their adult children don't want to leave their babies with <laughs> because they want to make sure they're all there, not tipsy. But I would say, you know, the demographics getting younger because more and more women are wanting to change their relationship with alcohol again for a variety of reasons versus waiting until middle age or a big rock bottom where drinking really does have this accruing effect where the hangovers really do get worse um things really don't tend to to get better people do tend to drink more not less as they're on the highway. So it's really great when I have young gals, you know, 20s and 30s join. But I would say a a lot of women are kind of 45, 50, where we're really hitting it now, which is really a huge demographic of drinkers. But just to kind of talk about who this is, I would say they're super health conscious, type A, highly driven, and extremely successful. That is who I am attracting. Wow. Uh, These are your business owners, your CEOs, CFOs that um, are are high capacity, high throttle people that um, are very good managers of life, good managers of themselves, their home, their career. And there's this one thing that is not computing. This one thing, they're, they're running on four cylinders that could be running on six. This is the difference maker. This is what they need to get out of their way because they've got so much more to give. And that is really who I seem to be attracting is I, I work with so many yoga 
instructors. Um, I work with so many women uh, who are in the medical profession who are nurses and doctors. I work with therapists who help others, but yet seem to have a gray area drinking zone issue themselves and going to an AA meeting or something that's a little bit further down the spectrum just does not fit. But they know that they're counseling people by day. And then really the compassion fatigue sets in, decision fatigue sets in for women who are making massive decisions for corporations. And yet in the evening, they don't know how to stop their overthinking and their over-responsibility. So that's actually who who I would say I attract the most is women who are who are really um, getting it done in a lot of areas, but know that they're not at their full potential because there's something that's distracting. Mm, yeah, that one one little tiny vice. Yep. At the end of the day, alcohol is a vice. My boyfriend, well, he's told me the story of how an older gentleman, you know, very wise, basically told him you are a great kid. You will never get in trouble. The only time you will get in trouble is if you're drinking alcohol or doing drugs. That mm-hmm. will just set you on the wrong path. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, it's just a vice that will distract, will obviously inebriate you, um, and you'll just yeah. make poor decisions. Going back to, you kind of have these high-driven, high-level people, type A. I feel like maybe it's because they can manage so many things in their life. Like I can manage this too, but they know, they know it's not everything else in their life is in this category of productivity, health work. And they know that they are managing it, but it's kind of in this other column of like, Oh, I'm managing it, but I know it's not good. So they're just trying to break that habit. Exactly. Yeah. I want to wrap this up with how people can find you, work with you, follow you. I know you have a 21 day reset. How can people work with you? Yeah. So thank you for asking. And again, the opportunity just to help spread the message. So if uh, if you're a woman out there listening to me right now and we perked your interest, we've got you a little bit mm-hmm. sober curious, we'll call it. Um, I actually have a free guide. I have a free download. I just want to offer all of your listeners. Um, if they go to sobersys.com, I've got five strategies to help with wine o'clock tonight, like mm-hmm. right now. Like maybe you're listening to this on your drive home from work and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, now I can't unknow what I know. Now what do I do? Download my free guide because I really do want to help you with what has worked for me. And then like Kayla said, I do have a 21-day reset challenge that starts at the beginning of every month in 21 days. I mean, that seems so doable to say, you know what? Alcohol is always going to be there. It's definitely not going anywhere. So If you just take that break, you will get that clarity of mind, that sober mind, which will then give you the opportunity to see how alcohol fits in. And it's in that 21 days that I really educate um, through the content that I have out there again of just what's worked for me and now thousands of other women. And then um, and then programs to follow up after that if women really do want to pursue an alcohol-free lifestyle. But I just encourage people to download that free guide, get you started tonight or this weekend, whenever you're listening, and then maybe take on that 21-day challenge. And you'll find that our sober-minded sisterhood, that it is connection that really is the antidote to that numbing, mindless sipping. And um, when you are with other women who are also, you know, life's kind of working. Everything looks good on the outside. It's really nice to be in a safe space where you can say, you know what? It's not working that great. I mean, let's keep it real. 
So it that's really been a game changer. Well, I know personally, a lot of women I could personally send this link to whenever it comes out. Honestly, for me, I would say this time last year, actually, maybe the end of 2021, I would always have a bottle of wine at the house. Not to say I would drink a bottle a night, but if I ran out, I was always replacing it. And somewhere along the way, I just was working out super hard, eating super healthy. And just over time, that habit just kind of went away. Definitely started with working on myself physically, getting to the gym every morning. I I woke up at 4.45 every morning. I don't have time to have a foggy head. I like to have clear mind, like to wake up refreshed. So I think just going to the gym helped me a lot. I was eating better. So I was seeing results, but for me, alcohol really does keep me from that one inch better of results. So as soon as I cut it out, it's like, boom, I can tell I cut out alcohol. I can just tell. So yeah, I don't know. Somewhere along the way, I just don't drink. It's definitely not something I go out and seek. I, you know, I drink on New Year's, woohoo, New Year's. But besides that, yeah, we tried to just be like, why? What's the point? It's that mindless sipping as opposed to sober mindedness, which may for some people involve drinking on occasion. Mm -hmm. To me, that's different than being sober. Yeah. Yeah. That intentional, mindful person. Um, And I think it starts with, you know, taking a break to get the mindset you want. And if that's being a more mindful drinker, a sober minded person, you know, then explore. This yeah. is all about exploring. Yeah, it's your journey. What's your journey? It's up to you. Yeah. Where And like you said, you might start with six weeks and end up with six years. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay, one quick question I like to ask all my um, guests on the show. I like to just ask, what do you know for sure? So that means if you had a megaphone to the world and you could say one thing, what would you say or what do you want people to know? What's one thing for sure that you know? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> And uh, well, I'm just going to go off the cuff here, but it is definitely something I know. And that is that we've all been put on this earth for a purpose. I don't feel like anybody is here by accident. I feel like God has a unique calling and assignment for each one of us. So I think we need to look alive and find out what that is and then live our best life to figure out how to complete that, that unique purpose Mm -hmm. and that unique calling and assignment that if you weren't here on this earth, there would be that void, that missing, that missing thing that I think God planted in all of us to do. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Well, that was such a great conversation. I'm, I'm excited for this one. It's definitely not a topic that I have on the show um, besides my sister's story and and that, but I love this knowledge and the information that you brought and it's definitely sparked my interest. I know it will for (laughs) a lot of people. Yeah. Just, you know, and again, it's like right in the middle, you said that gray area of, I don't drink a lot, but I don't not drink. So what am I? And just, just exploring the different journeys that you can take with, with your life. So yeah. Will your 21 reset have already started? Actually, they can join the February 1st one. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That um, will definitely be in the show notes. Good, good. Yeah, let people know. Um, they can definitely join me in February. And I have all these runway videos that yeah. I send to help people prepare, get their fridge ready. So they're not just like day yeah. one. Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> what do I do? I love um, it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, and we will stay connected through okay. social. I'll see you on the gram. Yes. Okay. okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.